You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. I'm also the co-editor of Dunking With Wolves, the Timberwolves site on the fan-sided network. Today's episode of Locked On Wolves is brought to us by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Happy post-game podcast. A not-so-happy result from Wolves' sons on Monday. The Wolves fell to Phoenix by a final of 99-96. A really fun game. It came down to the final possession. We're going to break it all down on the game on the show today, uh, including uh, key takeaways. I also want to hit just kind of my notes throughout the game. We're going to try that here off the bat. What was happening during the game? What were the, the things that stuck out to me as we were going through the, as you know, watching through the game live. And then also the key takeaways, looking back on it, what was kind of the overarching, what are like three things we could pull out of this game and, and, and apply moving forward? What do the Timberwolves do really well? What do they not do well? Then we'll do individual studs and duds as we always do on the show here today. So welcome into the post game pod. Thank you, first of all, for making Lockdown Wolves your first listen each and every day. Or perhaps if you're listening to this after the game on Monday night, uh, maybe your last listen of the day as well. But, uh, also, on future days, please make us your first listen each morning. We appreciate that. Remember, Lockdown Wolves is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, as well as all of your audio platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, and of course, the all-new Odyssey app. You can also follow on Twitter at Lockdown T Wolves and at B Beacon with two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. All right, let's go ahead and jump into uh, kind of some of the some of the things that were going on throughout the game. Um, and I think... The the most notable thing, if you're a Wolves fan, is that the offense still doesn't seem quite right. There were flashes that were really positive, and I want to dig into that a bit more next segment. But overall for this game, the Timberwolves shot 36.5% from the field, 29.5% from outside the arc. They did get to the line 27 times, which was still nine less times than the Suns in a, in a very foul-heavy game. The officials did not do a great job um, really keeping control of this one, unless you think keeping control is calling fouls on virtually every time down the court. Uh, but at any rate, the Wolves did get to the free throw line a little bit. They just couldn't make shots from the field. That's been a recurring theme so far this year. And early in this game, it was really it was really prevalent. The Wolves shot three of 15 on three-point attempts in the first quarter. Overall, for the game, they weren't much better. I mean, three of 15 is, is, uh, is what, 20%? For the game, they shot what did I say, 29.5%. So it was pretty indicative of how the rest of the game went, but it was really bad in the first quarter. Carl Anthony Towns had 14 in the first, and uh, he did it in a variety of ways. He looked really good. Um, but as the first half went on, uh, the Timberwolves were up three at the end of the first quarter. It was really kind of a, a defensive battle, and and it truly was. I mean, it is one of those games where you say, ah, oh, this one's not getting sent to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I get it. It was ugly. Both teams scored under 100. But there was actually a lot of pretty good defense being played. That said, the Timberwolves were not making open shots when they got the opportunity. And if you looked at the box score after the game and saw that the Suns shot only 22% on threes and the Wolves were actually 29% and made almost twice as many threes, 13 made threes to Phoenix's seven, you were probably also shocked because it certainly didn't seem that way. It's just Devin Booker and Chris Paul were, were mid-ranging the Timberwolves to death uh, down the stretch. And that's really what the Suns did late in the game. But early... Um, nobody could really score at all. It was 21-18 at the end of the first quarter. Josh Akogi got extended run in the first half and, and really kind of did the Akogi thing where he uses where he uses too many possessions. He gets the ball. Teams teams have a have a, have a way of um, allowing the ball to find Josh Akogi, and then Josh ends up 
missing a corner three or dribbling into traffic and, and trying to dribble back out and then kind of getting stuck. And that happened a little bit early in this one. Um, no Nas Reed in this game. He did end up sitting out. There was, uh, I don't, uh, he actually wasn't even active for this game. It was something, I believe it was a minor injury. I, I missed the final injury report, but he didn't play in this one. Um, and, uh, and the Timberwolves just had to play a small lineup. Um, Nathan Knight was available. They called him up from the Iowa Wolves, or he'd been up with the team actually since the road trip and uh, did not see the floor, which I thought was a little bit curious. But especially against a team like the Suns that plays three pretty legitimate centers uh, that largely play the center position in DeAndre Ayton, who is back, by the way, from his injury. I, I didn't think he was going to play. He didn't play Sunday. He'd missed six of the last seven, but he did come back and play in this one. JaVel McGee and also Frank Kaminsky. It was a little bit surprising that the Wolves opted to go small and only play eight guys in this game. Torian Prince didn't see the floor. Jordan McLaughlin didn't see the floor. And uh, the Wolves stuck with an eight-man rotation. It, it worked, obviously. The Wolves were in this game throughout. Um, it, but it would have been interesting to see what Nathan Knight could have done against the Suns. Um, at any rate, the Wolves played small. They played Jared Vanderbilt essentially as the backup center for a lot of the game. He started. Uh, but then when Cat was off the floor, Vando was the center. Cat played 40 of the 48 minutes. So that wasn't very often. But Vando spent eight of his 24 minutes at the center spot and uh, his other his other 16 minutes at the four. Jade McDaniels played 30 minutes, but he split that between the three and the four. Um, just a really interesting rotation for Chris Finch in this one. Um, and, and interesting in that it was so short. It's the only game in the series, only played eight players. Um, and, you know, Towns had a quiet second quarter. Anthony Edwards actually had one point in the entire first half. He didn't score until 57 seconds left in the second quarter. Had one point at halftime. Cat, after scoring 14 in the first, had only one in the second. Um, we'll get into to the offense here next segment, but Towns was doubled a bunch on the catch again. The Suns kind of kind of flip back and forth between guarding him with, with, I said before the game, I thought it could probably be Jay Crowder. It was, he spent a lot of time guarding towns and then the Suns would automatically double on the catch. If towns had his back to the basket. And in the first half, we saw a bunch of that towns got trapped. He got stuck in the low post. Um, he had multiple really bad. He actually, I think it was back to back or two out of three possessions in the second quarter where they, he had shot clock violations because he, he was stuck with the ball and couldn't find an open man. And of course that's, it's not acceptable to be stuck with the ball in your hands when the shot clock goes off, but the wolves still don't do a great job of helping him when he's stuck. And the Suns did a fantastic job of really just trapping him on the catch, even almost in some ways better than the Clippers. Now, the thing the Wolves did differently in the second half is they adjusted and got Towns on the perimeter more instead of trying to force the issue in the paint. And Towns went to town and he got the ball with you know, facing the basket more often. He was actually dribble driving to the basket a bit more, creating a little bit for teammates, dumping the ball off to other players, cutting to the basket, uh, drew some fouls, getting ahead of steam towards the basket. Those are the plays where Towns tends to flail a little bit and you worry about him falling and hurting himself. That's how he kept hurting his wrist the last couple of years. Um, but to add that element, we haven't seen much of that from Towns this year. Now, and since the Wolves aren't making perimeter shots and they're not making teams pay for doubling Towns in the low post, if they can get him the ball in the perimeter and allow him to either shoot or drive to the basket, that just adds another element to the Wolves offense that has been missing so far this season. Um, so that was kind of the, the, uh, the thing that happened midway through the game was, was Towns was getting stuck in the post. There was one actually after a couple of the really bad shot clock violations, there was a turnover mixed in there uh, that wasn't a shot clock violation. 
and Towns was able to kind of underhand scoop past the ball to the top of the arc. I think it was Patrick Beverly got it, swung it to Malik Beasley in the right corner for a three, and that kind of got Beasley going. He made two or three threes after that, and of course, he struggled mightily in the majority of games this year, and, and including the last couple games, and that was a really good play from Towns and also from Beverly and a great shot from Beasley, and that was kind of the last time where you really saw Towns be hounded with any success in the post. And beyond that, or after that point in the game, the Wolves started using him in some different ways and the Suns could not simply uh, trap him with Crowder and, and another player and stick Jay Crowder, or excuse me, stick DeAndre Ayton on, you know, Jared Vanderbilt or Josh Okogie or whoever the non-threat was offensively. Um, late in the game, the Wolves, it was a close game. Uh, third quarter was when kind of things went off the rails a little bit with the officiating. There were some bad calls. The Wolves got multiple technicals. Uh, Anthony Edwards got one. Carl Anthony Towns got one. Of course, they end up losing by three. And in a game where Patrick Beverly missed a free throw in the final 30 seconds that would have tied it, it would have been nice to have those extra points. Of course, you could point at any possession thrown away over the course of the game. But those technical free throws, uh, as it turns out, made a big difference in, in a three-point deficit uh, in a game they ultimately lost by three. Um, officiating wasn't great, but not the reason the Wolves lost this game. It just was, it, it is what it is. That happens some nights. Um, and then down the stretch with really going back and forth, toe to toe with the Suns. And, and I said earlier, Booker and Chris Paul were just knocking down mid-range jumpers. The Wolves, for the most part, we'll talk more about the pick and roll defense next segment. That was the one weak spot. And it continued to be down the stretch because the Wolves defense is designed to kind of allow that mid-range shot as long as they're protecting against shots at the rim and shots outside the arc, which makes sense. Turns out Devin Booker and Chris Paul are two of the best in the business at making mid-range jumpers, and uh, they did that down the stretch. Booker had 19 points in the second half. Carl Anthony Towns had 16 in the fourth quarter alone, uh, but after we got to that two-minute mark, uh, the Wolves were up one. Towns missed a shot right around the two-minute mark. He didn't shoot the ball the rest of the game. D'Angelo Russell was, uh, I, I, by design or not by design, ended up being kind of the closer for the Timberwolves, or at least that was the goal. And he didn't do a whole lot of damage down the stretch. He did hit one big three kind of right before that final two minutes. But then in the final couple of minutes, it was uh, it was pretty much all Suns. Um, and the Wolves didn't really get much going offensively. After that Towns miss, uh, it was back and forth. There were a couple of made free throws. The Wolves were within three with 45 seconds left. And then Patrick Beverly, after a couple of misses uh, from the Wolves, got an offense, or D'Lo missed a, a corner shot. Beverly got a rebound, had a chance for a three-point play, made the shot in the paint, and then missed the free throw. The Wolves got another chance. D'Lo missed another three-pointer. Um, and then after free throws on the other end, it went back and forth a couple more times. Long story short, the Wolves had a chance to tie again in the final uh, 15 seconds or so, or actually there was six seconds left, I guess, when D'Lo shot the ball. Wide open three-point shot. Good execution by the Wolves. It was a great shot from D'Lo. He should have shot the ball um, in this set because Ant had the ball, had the cat... Ant and D'Lo were the ones who all touched the ball in that final possession. D'Lo ended up getting an open opportunity from three. It just rimmed out. Offensive rebound goes to Anthony Edwards. He gathers it, tries to step back to three to shoot a game winner. Could have just shot a you know, 20-footer or 18-footer, I guess, and uh, to, to tie the game, but instead wanted to dribble backwards, dribble the ball. It looked like off his leg, and uh, Jay Crowder got it, and that was basically the game at that point. So, Overall, good execution from the Wolves in the fourth quarter, and they did go toe-to-toe with the Suns, but in the final couple of minutes, a little too much D'Lo and not quite enough clean basketball from the Wolves, and they end up losing by three. Next, what I want to do is I want to talk about key takeaways. I want to dig in just a little bit on uh, the pick-and-roll defense. I want to dig in a little bit more on the Carl Anthony Towns uh, offense, and then also talk about some of that late-game execution. Uh, Again, just to 
dig in a bit more on each of those things before we get to individual studs and duds. Um, first though, let's talk about our friends over at Theragun. Don't let the stress of daily life weigh on your body, whether you're an elite athlete or someone like me who's not and just trying to make it through the day tension-free. Theragun can help. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power, and it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good, it gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out, an injury, or just the stresses of everyday life, there's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. The OLED screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future. Just go to their site and check it out and the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams that includes Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, and hundreds of thousands of customers. Try Theragun for 30 days starting at only $199. Go to therabody.com slash locked on right now. Get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's therabody.com slash locked on therabody.com slash locked on. All right, uh, let's go ahead and talk key takeaways. <clears throat> so uh, talked a little bit about the blueprint to stop Cat. We saw this from the Clippers and it worked. I went through his stats against the Clippers, the three games so far this year on Monday's show and uh, Monday morning show. Um, and basically Cat didn't get to the free throw line against the Clippers. Turnovers were a little bit of an issue. He generally just didn't shoot the ball. So I think it was just a shade over 40% from the field in three games against the Clippers and, and just didn't have, I think one of the three times he was over 20 points just wasn't as effective. Um, and that obviously includes Saturday's game when he didn't get out of, didn't get to double figures. And that blueprint is putting a smaller player, oftentimes a power forward, an undersized power forward on cat and sticking the five on the non-threat offensively, whether that's Josh Okogi, Jared Vanderbilt. In some cases with the starting lineup, it's Jaden McDaniels. Uh, usually, um, obviously McDaniels of those three is the most dangerous offensive player, but he hasn't found himself as an NBA uh, you know, a playmaker or somebody who's going to score off the dribble. And so teams are able to do that. It allows them to play their center as the low man and step up to either double um, or protect the rim if somebody else drives into the paint and also get down there to rebound. So the Timberwolves have typically, they often will put their Akogi or Vanderbilt or whoever in the corner in the dunker spot. And occasionally they'll put them at the elbows, although we've seen less of that this season until late in this game. We'll get to that in a minute when they ran some more Horns-esque sets. But the Suns just decided to do this and put Jay Crowder on Towns, you know, contest the catch. They they switched it up a little bit and, and I, I couldn't quite figure out exactly. I'd have to watch it back to see what the what the reasoning was or if there was a, a rhythm or a pattern to it. But occasionally you'd see DeAndre Ayton on Towns one-on-one. In fact, I wrote this down because you don't ever see this. DeAndre Ayton got called for a foul with Towns back to the basket uh, trying to walk him into the paint and Ayton got called for uh, for a uh, 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 a hand check foul, essentially, right? I mean, he had the arm bar and then he got his other hand in there and then he extended the hand from the arm bar and it, he, he actually, Towns actually drew a foul and it wasn't a shooting foul. It was just him backing somebody down, drawing a foul on the defense, not getting called for an offensive foul. I don't think we've seen that more than five times this season in how many games we've played, 11 or 12 games at this point, or I guess 13 games. Um, Towns is not drawing those fouls this year. So that was remarkable to see that. It was outstanding to see. I don't know if Aiton's still just not getting whistles. I, I don't know 
why he wouldn't. I guess he's still younger than Towns. I, I don't know what it is, but Aiton got called for a couple of things against Towns that nobody else was getting called for. Um, and uh, I thought that was fascinating. Anyway, um, the blueprint to stop Cat in the first quarter, it didn't work, but the second quarter, they completely stymied him. And the Timberwolves offense in the first half in general was just really kind of spotty and, and not really very good at all. Um, and then as we moved through the game and, and after they started to double cat in the post, it, you know, using that strategy and, and they, uh, there were a couple of kickouts that led to threes like the Malik Beasley one I talked about before, but then as the game went on, Towns started getting touches on the perimeter. And then in the final couple minutes, or I shouldn't say it was actually kind of the like, five minutes down to two minutes left in the game, the Timberwolves broke out and they were a couple of possessions behind. They broke out their horn sets and they, they tend to, and I don't know if this is by design or not, but typically those sets operate from the elbows. The wolves operate from a couple of feet further, uh, towards the, towards the top of the key, really, um, above the free throw line instead of truly at the elbows. And, and for a while I thought it was just kind of lazy positioning, but that seems to be a pretty regular thing. And it's, it's not a true horn set, but that's, that's the look that it takes on. And they run so much out of this. And I talked about it a bunch last year. They did it so much at the end of the year last year. And I'd love to find out why they're doing that less this year. And I don't know if they're still working it in or what the deal was. They didn't do it much at all in the first half, but they brought it out in crunch time in this game and it worked awesome. Um, they had D'Lo, uh, pass it down to, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think it was Anthony Edwards was on the left elbow. And then D'Lo set a pin down for Towns, an outstanding screen on DeAndre Ayton. You could actually hear the Suns bench screaming on TV. You could hear them screaming to Ayton to get through the screen. They could see what was coming. I'm sure it was Brian Gates, the assistant who was with the Wolves last, the last couple of years now with the Suns. Um, and Russell set a fantastic screen on Ayton and Towns knocked down a three. I think that was to maybe get the Wolves within two or three with four or five minutes left. And then they ran it the next time down the floor and D'Lo ended up getting a, a pretty open mid-range jumper that he made. And I think that was it. They ran it two, maybe three times. And then they kind of devolved back into the pick and roll, a little bit of isolation. And they were still going toe to toe. They never got down by more than four. Um, and it mostly was a, was a three point, mostly a one possession game in the final couple of minutes. So the execution wasn't all bad. It's just interesting to me that they didn't keep going to the well with those horn sets and the different actions you can run out of that with, with, you know, the person that's, that's initiating the offense going to set a pin down for either ant or cat, or if it's ant initiating could set it for D'Lo, then cat passes it from the elbow back to D'Lo for the three, the different variations of, of cuts that you can do out of that. Um, you can cross screen and have different actions where guys are, are ended up on the opposite wing. I, I just don't know why why they didn't do a little bit more of that, because I think that was a good way to combat the way the Suns were trying to defend the, the Wolves and, and Towns specifically. Um, the pick and roll defense was an issue in this game. Now, the obvious caveat here is Chris Paul is arguably the best pick and roll point guard. I mean, certainly top three of all time. Um, and, you know, Steve Nash, you know, a couple of others. I mean, so it's really hard to defend the pick and roll against Chris Paul. And they did turn him over a couple of times in pick and roll defense. They got better as the game went on, but they really struggled. The Wolves did to hold the Suns down in pick and roll action. And the Suns were very content to just do it over and over and get DeAndre Ayton, um, you know, buckets in the paint. Uh, they did it a little bit with JaVale McGee. And late in the game, that action just kind of, they tweaked it a little bit to get some mid-range jumpers for both Booker and Chris Paul. And those guys are so good from the mid-range. Um, but Outside of pick and roll defense, Minnesota's defense was fantastic. They were scrambling. They were everywhere. They were contesting shots. Um, they were Xing out, uh, which is, again, a concept that they didn't use much last year. The other problem they had, and this was out of pick and roll, is a lot of times with the smaller lineups, the Wolves did not have 
uh, somebody on, on the last line of defense, you know, the low man wasn't somebody who was big enough to truly contest a shot. If it wasn't Vanderbilt, if it wasn't Jaden McDaniels, if it was Josh Akogi, or if it ended up being Malik Beasley or Daniel Russell stuck down there, they weren't holding their own against the DeAndre Aytons and, and these bigger players that were getting into the paint and scoring. So that, that was more to do with, and Jim Peterson talked about this a little bit on the Valley Sports North broadcast. The Wolves needed to have better recognition for, hey, can, can you know, if Patrick Beverly ends up or D'Angelo Russell ends up on DeAndre Ayton down low, or if our low man's going to be a guard, we've got to shuffle this defensively. And it's hard to do on the fly sometimes. And sometimes you have to stay home and make make do, but it happened a little bit too often. And, and of course, the Suns and Chris Paul are going to take advantage of that where possible. Um, so that's an area for some improvement, certainly for the Wolves. But generally speaking, the defense was really good. The effort was there. Um, and, and, and I was generally impressed with the way that the Wolves played defensively. Um, they were on the glass. They're actually a plus two in this game and they only gave up 14 offensive rebounds. It was fine. Um, it, I, I just, it just, they fell a little bit short in this one. And as the Timberwolves, Timberwolves fans are tired of moral victories and really there haven't been very many moral victories this year because they've lost in blowout fashion and won in blowout fashion. And, and there just haven't been that many close games. It's like this one in the Nuggets game. And I guess the Memphis game, which was just really disappointing that were actually close ones uh, throughout. But this is one of those where you can say, Hey, they went toe to toe. Towns had a great game and obviously had some struggles down the stretch uh, and ended up scoring in single digits again for the second time in the last three games, uh, six turnovers isn't great. Uh, but I don't know. It's just, it's, it's an empty feeling. Timberwolves fans I know are feeling that, uh, this is, this is, this is what, uh, we're all used to, I think, but, um, this is also a roster that should be able to be better than this and shoot better than 30, 6% 6% from the field and 29% for three. All right. I want to do individual studs and duds next to wrap things up here. Uh, first though, let's talk about the title sponsors of today's show. And that of course is rockauto.com. This episode is brought to you by rock auto with the ever increasing numbers of makes and models. It's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have a computer with access to rockauto.com, both at home and in your pocket. You can save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer and they have everything you could possibly need from brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil to even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. Let's also talk about betonline.ag. We're back and we're better than ever. A new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus from football to basketball, NHL to boxing and UFC, including your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Again, promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Okay, Let's talk individual studs and duds from Wolves' sons. 
The most obvious one for me in the studs category is Carl Anthony Towns. 35 points, 13 rebounds, two assists, and a steal. He shot 10 of 19, better than 50% from the field. Five of nine from three, better than 50%. 10 of 11 at the free throw line. Uh, really, really good. And uh, I, yeah, he had seven turnovers, but I think two of them were traveling in the opening like five minutes of the game. One wasn't actually, or was a travel, but he was shoved. So it shouldn't have been a turnover. Two, at least two were shot clock violations. Um, and actually, I think I just figured out what uh, what like five of the seven were because he had the one offensive foul, or two offensive fouls, one on a moving screen, one on the spin move where he ultimately got his technical. He spun and he kind of hooked JaVale McGee. JaVale McGee completely sold it. Letter of the law, I guess technically it's probably an offensive foul, but it's one of those where he just kind of doesn't really know what his arm is doing. And he didn't really make contact with McGee much at all. He just kind of swam his arm backwards. Um, so that was one, the moving screen, uh, the two travels early in the game, and then the two shot clock violations. That's six of the seven right there. Um, so like one of the travels shouldn't have been a call. One of the offensive foul calls was kind of whatever. The shot clock violations aren't all on him. So I, I don't have a problem. Obviously, seven turnovers isn't good. Um, but he Towns played well in this game. Um, it would have been great if he had maybe controlled his emotions a little bit more in the third quarter. We saw a little bit more of of uh, it wasn't whiny towns like we saw earlier this year and we've seen for much of his career, but um, I guess he channeled it in a mostly productive way, tried to get the crowd into the game and uh, you know, only got the one technical. He, he did have five personal fouls in this game. He's, he only had like one, I think in the first half picked up quite a few in the second half, but overall a good towns game. Uh, I talked a lot about the adjustments the wolves made offensively and towns was uh, showed his versatility in this game. So he gets a stud. Also, huge performance in the fourth quarter. He was quiet in the first and second. He scored 30 of his 35 points in the first and fourth quarters combined, including 16 in the fourth, and was phenomenal to keep the Wolves in this game. They were down multiple possessions, and, and then Cat really came to life. So a uh, great game from Cat. Um, it actually kind of gets tough after this after this one because the shooting was not great across the board for the Wolves. Um it's, it's tough. I'm, I'm going to actually give D'Angelo Russell a stud in this game. He had 22 points. He only shot seven of 21. So 33% for the field and one of 10 outside the arc, which is of course hideous. A couple of those were wide open shots that just rimmed out. He did have four assists, zero turnovers in this game. And he got to the free throw line seven times, which is really un like he does not get to the free throw line very often. I mean, he averages, I think less than three free throw attempts a game or right around that neighborhood. Um, so the fact he got to the free throw line seven times had zero turnovers. He did hit, uh, he had a layup that, I mean, it was a wide open layup to cut the lead to one in the final seconds. He did hit a couple of big free throws down the stretch and defensively was actually pretty good. He had a couple of nice box outs. Uh, I think one big rebound, it was overall a solid game from D'Lo. It, it wasn't it wasn't his best game. It certainly wasn't his worst game. I mean, the D'Lo experience in 13 games so far this season, take this for whatever it means. This was probably like his third or fourth best performance, uh, which which says a lot about the Wolves and about D'Lo. 22 points on 21 shots. Uh, but again, good down the stretch and some kind of, some of the little things that he doesn't typically do that he did in this game. Uh, the third one for me is, is a little bit of a toss up. So I'll split it. Um, I'm going to give Jared. Uh, I don't know. It is a tough one. I'm going to, I'm going to split it between Jared Vanderbilt and Patrick Beverly. Um, Jaden McDaniels is close to, to it as well, but Patrick Beverly had 10.7 rebounds, four of eight shooting two of five outside the arc in 34 minutes started again. Uh, Vando had 4.7 rebounds in just 24 minutes. The issue with him was, was foul trouble. He got a couple cheapies as well, because this game was for as physical as it was, it was still officiated really closely. 
Um, and neither team really backed down and the officials didn't stop blowing their whistles. They didn't back down either, I guess. But Vando played well. He brought energy. Uh, Jane McDaniels played well too, four points off the bench uh, in 30 minutes, but was good defensively. Um, so I, I don't know. It, it's one of those games, the shooting percentages across the board are ugly, but as a team, the Timberwolves competed. They were active defensively. They were good on the glass. Again, plus two in the rebounding ca- column. Um, there were only minus three in turnovers. Like It wasn't great, but it wasn't awful. Um, so just kind of one of those disappointing games, disappointing finish, toe-to-toe with the defending Western Conference champs that were, he- you know, they were healthy with uh, DeAndre Ayton back. The Wolves didn't have Nas Reed. Um, and now the Suns have won 11 or excuse me, nine games in a row. So, I mean, they're a good team, obviously they're 10 and three. So this was a solid performance overall by the Timberwolves. The offense has to improve. Um, but mostly good on the Timberwolves coaching staff for making adjustments throughout the game to get towns easier touches and be more creative. It's what Chris Finch has been talking about and they finally did it. Um, it just, we just need to see it again now with some winnable games upcoming Sacramento this week, San, uh, Sacramento Wednesday, San Antonio Thursday. Um, so some winnable games, the Wolves should have a chance to, to at least hopefully inch a little bit closer to a 500 record. Uh, we'll of course have a Wednesday show. We'll talk about Wolves Kings Wednesday night. Uh, going to try and schedule some time with Matt George of Lockdown Kings. I believe I'll be on his show and we'll possibly pro- post some of that as a crossover here at Lockdown Wolves to check in on Sacramento and see how they're doing so far this season. Uh, they did have a, a big win uh, by 22 over Detroit on, on Monday night. So we'll talk Wolves Kings on Wednesday's show. And uh, we'll of course have the post game pod following that game. So thanks again for making lockdown wolves your first listen each and every day. Remember the show is free and available on all platforms that includes YouTube, as well as of course, Apple, Google, Spotify, and the all new Odyssey app. You can also follow on Twitter at lockdown T wolves. Don't forget the T and at B beacon with two B's two E's C K E at. That's all we have for you today. A reminder that Lockdown Wolves is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Remember, the Lockdown Network is your local experts on all the biggest stories. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked on Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.